here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, the occasionally antagonistic Nate, aka Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Um, thank you. I am only occasionally antagonistic, um, and I'd like to also clarify that I am not Oatgan, nor am I easily confused with him, despite what uh some people have alleged uh my succulents thank you for asking are doing pretty good only one of them has almost died so the other two succulents plus full-on normal plant are doing quite well that's great news i'm glad to hear it and uh for more normie talk we are also joined by mike what's up mike spears hey y'all it's your old pal mike spears you know what normie things do i really have to say this week uh Went to Bed Bath & Beyond earlier this week, you know, spent a good amount of time, you know, looking at thread counts, you know, things that normal 30-year-old people do, and then you, getting ready for, you know, the, this week's show. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff going, but I'd be remiss if I did not wish you a happy birthday, Aaron Bentley. Oh, wow. Thank you, Mike. That's three, by the way. Check <laughs> Put it on your spreadsheet, because your spreadsheet is apparently a friend, because apparently thing, because we are joined by the pettiest man alive. <laughs> I guess that makes me remiss. I guess I'm remiss then. Because I didn't okay. wish him anything. Thanks. Well, I, I gave him an HBD. Yeah, it was pretty low effort, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, but it was part of like a, it was a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. It, a bit. it went on my spreadsheet, uh, the way that you wished me a HBD. I used to do a hoopy birthday, what is my go-to birthday <laughs> greeting, inspired by an old uh, roommate of mine in college who genuinely while very drunk wished someone a hoopy birthday on their facebook wall <laughs> and that stuck with me for a very long time uh but hbd i think is that's you know that's maturation we're adults now you just get an hbd just move on with your day it's not that big a deal i feel like i'm being slighted for the image that i had saved on my phone for some reason of aaron <laughs> that i made in blingy that maybe i'm not being an adult maybe that's what nate's saying right now <laughs> Nate stepped up to the mic and then stepped back for everyone who couldn't see that. Which is everyone. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Did you get anything fun from SB? Did you get a nice gift? Uh, just, uh, we just kind of do little things for birthday. I, uh, so I like in the summer to wear as tank tops, basketball jerseys. And I learned when we were in New York, I went to the NBA store and I learned that the perfect size for me for basketball jerseys is a youth large. <laughs> okay i didn't know that all right fair enough yeah because i would always get the uh the adult small and i just mm -hmm. hate how they fit so mm. i was like i'm gonna go to the nba store and figure out the right size for me youth large 
I only get guys who played at Kentucky. Naturally. So while we were there, I got a De'Aaron Fox jersey. And uh, I, SB got me a uh, Carl Towns jersey for my birthday. Nice, nice. Is yeah. there something about the cut about the youth large? Do they? Is it just that like they don't bag as much or they're a little bit wider? Is that why the youth large is the go-to jersey for small kings out there? It fits like a t-shirt, my man. You oh, know, nice. Doesn't hang too low. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just shows a nice off the cut. ink. Really shows off the ink. Yeah, you got to get the swingman uh, jerseys. Okay, like one of the types of jerseys, so that fits me very well. And I don't know, I just love them. She also got me uh, a particular pressing of Jason Isbell's Sirens of the Ditch. And I'm trying to collect. Or I'm trying to complete my Jason Isbell vinyl collection. I almost asked if she got you a Jason Isbell poster or something to to put on the wall there. Thought that uh, might have nope. been a little too on the nose. She went vinyl. She went vinyl. Cool. So, and yeah. Special color on the vinyl. I mean, you said it's special pressing. So, is it? it is... It's it's just the first pressing of that oh, album. I see. Oh, yeah. Mm. I already I had the yellow swirl variant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> and uh, there's a newer edition with some extra songs, some previously unreleased songs. But this is the first. You pressing. wanted the old crappy edition. No, it's 180 <laughs> gram. It's a nice edition. Speaking of vinyl, what kind of weird vinyl collection do you have, Nate? Uh, this is weird. It's whatever vinyl I've picked up through my time of like, you know, when, when you see a vinyl store, it's just a nice place to browse, you know, true use vinyl, great bargain. Um, probably like uh, a third of my vinyl is whatever I picked up from my dad when he, uh, moved and didn't have any use for his vinyl anymore. Sure. So there's a lot of like weird, um, pressings of like, I don't know, Hawaiian folk musicians or something like that, that I have to imagine he bought when he was in Hawaii in the seventies or something <laughs> and now ended up in my uh, living room. Very cool. I think that's a natural thing is that parents, like when children inherit their parents' vinyl collection, you go like, what kind of weird shit did you end up with? Because I got a whole bunch of Smother Brothers albums and then a bunch of the outlaws. So yeah. And- and then my dad was really into Bob Seger. So I ended up inheriting a lot of that. So it's oh, just the like, original Bullet Club, your dad was a member. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Midwest boy, you know what I mean? If you're a Midwest boy that being like in your teens, when you're in the late 60s, early 70s, you got to love the Silver Bullet Band. So I ended up with that. And then my mom apparently was a big uh, Southern rock person. And then I don't know who this Mother's Brothers like albums are. Like I didn't know that comedy albums really existed until then. This was like a decade ago. So. Okay. I- I try to be very intentional about my vinyl collection because if you just buy everything on vinyl, I mean, it's expensive. You can really go down a bad rabbit hole with buying vinyl. So I only buy uh, 70s country. Okay. And new stuff. Like if there's something new that I love that I really want, I'll buy that on vinyl. Right. I'm trying to complete the entire Jason Isbell collection and 70s country. That's it. I respect that. I mean, I- other than like weird gifts I get from my brother, which was one of them was the uh, Terry Funk Texas Bronco Japanese LP he found. All I mean, I, that, that's pretty great. That's a good get right there. Oh, I've not listened to it because I'm afraid of like the needle scratching something as glorious as that. I just usually get like modern stuff or if there's like weird drone metal pressings. Like there was one of Sunage and Boris that they did like a four LP set that I went and paid way too much money for because I bought it from Japan. So. You know, you got to pick with your vinyl or else you end up with like 20 copies of whatever a radio DJ left there at the used LP store, record store. 
that. Okay. No, I, I like the hidden gems. I like the just weird ass things you can only find at some record store in Japan that happened to get there from some GI selling off his collection however many years ago. That's the magic of vinyl. It's just totally unknown stuff. Okay. Well, now that we've covered that, I think everybody's up on our weird uh, vinyl collections, apparently. We are that age. We are those old guys. We are. Fuck. We just did a whole <laughs> thing about vinyl collections, didn't we? <laughs> uh, hey, you weren't the person who went to Bed Bath & Beyond this week looking at the right now. <laughs> so don't feel that bad. No, I've spent the week uh, writing about uh, sexual assaults in jail. So very exciting. Okay, let's talk about Twitter. How about that? That sounds better. Oh, Go follow yeah. us on Twitter at everything AEW. Don't you want more of this content? You can follow me. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. That's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. Make sure you're subscribing to the show. Now you can do it through our independent feed, just the Everything Elite. Search that on the podcast app of your choice. Or you can subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network feed and get our show along with all the other shows on the network. we got a lot to talk about. All out, sold out. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Fighter Fest, we got some new streaming info and a couple of new matches to discuss. There's some Fight for the Fallen streaming news that we're going to talk about. And uh, something I'm excited to talk about is the John Moxley and what part of the AEW uh, in uh, New Japan war is he? And of course, Nate's going to tell us about being the elite. So let's get started. I think we'll just start with the Road to Fighter Fest episode three, and that'll kind of lead us into some of these other topics because the episode starts with Brandy talking about how All Out sold out. Of course, uh, it took about 15 minutes for all the tickets to get gone for the August 31 show in Chicago at Sears Center. Uh, so, well, let's start there. Nate? Yeah. What do you got on, well, we all predicted a sellout. Yeah. Pretty much an instant sellout. We got that. But was there anything about what happened with uh, the tickets going that surprised you, Nate? Uh, I was pretty surprised that I got tickets. I was in the first thousand people in the queue, which was pretty fortunate given that numbers upwards of 70,000 people in the queue have been reported um, Dave, again, does a lot of wacky math in the most recent Observer about how much demand that indicates and says, oh, you know, if you factor out the bots and people with multiple browsers, but then account for people buying multiple tickets, then you might have 140,000 or some, some crazy number that he was throwing out there. Uh, but anyway, I was surprised that I did that well on getting tickets because I have not had very much luck buying K-pop tickets recently, which have been my most recent <laughs> uh, uh, ticket purchases. Um, and I did, in fact, buy the tickets, which I talked about on this show last week, not being a very good value and not being worth the increased purchase price as compared to those around them. And yet I bought them anyway because I had to get into the show. Um, but in terms of demand, not really surprising. I guess those giant numbers were surprising given that you're not selling more than 12,000 tickets total. So, like, 70,000 is pretty insane, but I'm also pretty hesitant just to take that as a uh, cold hard fact when, you know, there are any number of other uh, variables that could contribute to that being the perceived demand for this show. Yeah. And what it boils down to is they have really 
kind of made this their thing and with the way that they do this system, it was going to be very hard for them not to sell out, I feel like. I mean, it, when you have that many people in the queue and that much interest, I mean, it's a lot like how PWG was like in when they were in Reseda. Like, they sold out within minutes and if you or moments. So if you weren't already there rapidly reloading the archaic website, you had this happen. So at least with like this, like I think Dave's math, like he said he can only confirm up to 72,500 people in the queue. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, just because how they've marketed it, they've spaced it out well. And I mean, that kind of tells you that their idea about doing tentpole shows is the right move. Now, it's been said that Tony Khan wants Labor Day weekend in Chicago to be like how Jim Crockett promotions at WCW had Thanksgiving in Greensboro. Is that going to be an issue for them going forward? Because Sears Center is a, is is chosen for was chosen for a very certain reason because of the particulars about Chicago, Illinois. And now we're seeing like this much demand. Like the big question is, is is selling out this fast a bad thing because you're leaving money on the table or you price things too cheaply? when you're going to try to make this like your area for Labor Day weekend and there's not very many available, I guess is the best way to put it, available venues that could you could step up because they can't go to Rosemont. Rosemont has a WWE hold. United Center has the issues that why no one runs United Center is because they qualify wrestling, I think, as a performance art with IATSE. So no one wants to pay for electricians or union rates, which they should. Don't be scabs. Go book things in Chicago. And you're not going to be able to do Soldier Field or any of the baseball parks. I mean, I guess you could maybe do Comiskey. But I guess, like, that's the thing I'm coming away with is if this is going to be a regular thing, they're going to need to find something because selling 11,000 in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, is great this quickly. But it seems like to me that eventually they're going to want to ramp this up into something. And am I alone in thinking that? No, I think you are right that it is certainly good to... Uh, exploit the hot market that you have here in Chicago. But I also don't want them to run baseball stadiums because I think that sucks for wrestling. Uh, I think football stadiums suck for wrestling. I mean, I think the United the United Center does not have very much character. It's like pretty uh, austere, boring NBA arena. And like you said, the other you know option on the table would be the All-State Arena, which has a lot of wrestling history, but all WWE. I don't know, know that there's an easy answer. Um, I think it's kind of cool to have a tradition in a city and in, in an arena. I, I think that adds some, uh, you know, uh, uh, some special value to an event like what they're trying to do on Labor Day. And I also think demand will probably decrease for the event as time goes on. Like when, if they start running, uh, you know, quarterly events in New York and, you know, in the Southeast and in Las Vegas and, wherever else they might end up doing those other larger shows, fewer people are going to need to travel to Chicago to be part of this particular show, I think. So I, I think it's a problem that maybe solves itself as time goes on, presuming this like continues to be a big deal promotion. But, you know, in terms of leaving money on the table, we can see that they left money on the table. What about going to two nights? What, what about running the whole weekend? I mean, that's, doable it just means that do you think that within a couple of years they would be able to have enough of a roster base to run this when they've already said that they've pretty much have reached like 90 percent of that i don't think two nights solves your problem two nights just means that the people that 
get tickets to the first night and travel here, uh, I'll have a second night to go to. If you do two nights, people aren't going to travel to see one of two nights. Sure, but there's now there's 24,000 tickets available. So, yeah, there's going to be some crossover. Some people are going to get tickets to both nights, but there's more tickets available. So you may be able to bring in, you know, uh, 18,000 different people instead of. Yeah, but you're kind of limiting yourself to the Chicago and surrounding area market, I think. You know, you know, if you're traveling to Japan for Wrestle Kingdom next year and you only get one of the two nights, are you still going to want to make the trip? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, there's other things to do, obviously. But if you're if you're traveling from uh, Detroit to Chicago to see AEW and you only get nights to or you only get tickets to night one and night two as the match you really want to see, you might just scalp night, night one. Sure. But there's still. Uh, I mean, there is a a limited number. There's 24,000 seats, no matter what, you know, if you if you go two nights. I don't know. Just a thought, Red, because it doesn't sound like there's a viable option for going to a bigger arena. There probably is. Um, I know when they were first talking about All In, uh, I threw out the UIC um, idea and their arena for University of Illinois, Chicago. That's where a Starcade or something was back in the day. I think that seats a few more people. Um, DePaul has an arena where they play basketball and where Twice is playing um, in the near future. That probably seats more for wrestling at the DePaul arena. So I'd have to check that. But, I, you know, it's a major metropolitan area. I think there are probably other options. But I do also, I mean, they put a plaque for AEW on the outside of this building. So I kind of get they want to... They want to uh, perpetuate the magic of that event and make that like, hey, this isn't just some craven wrestling promotion taking your money. This is like there are real feelings and there some real value to what we're doing here. Yeah. And I guess like the big thing about running at UIC, which was the uh, place WCW ran and AWA ran there when they did like the pro wrestling USA idea is that yeah, it is inside Chicago proper and promotions are very loath to do so so could it be maybe that they decide okay we like having a nice stage do we scale it down so that we don't have to production kill as many seats because that to me seems like to be the most viable option if they're going to keep it at sears center other than going to two days because then you'd be able to i guess cut maybe 100 or 200 more seats in there and i mean that would be more tickets on the market they could also just charge a lot more money for the tickets yeah, it, we don't it, want them to do that. That would we, no. we'd have bad vibes if they did that. <laughs> Very bad vibes. So the report, at least when Dave put out the Observer, was that there were about 827 tickets on the secondary market. Uh, would usually be about 2,000. So pretty little scalper activity. Do you all buy into that? I think it rel- relates on how many bots they would have. You know, it's that's been the big issue. At least um, I know that they quoted Hamilton like was when. Hamilton did their online ticket purchase. Someone like engineered a bot program and they may were able to push everything to secondary and they were able to get it beyond CAPTCHA. So it, it seems at least initially, unless some, unless scalpers are holding back tickets to see, okay, day of, it seems like I, I buy that there were under a thousand scalper seats considering also the size of the arena as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I don't find it unusual 
Like, I don't think tickets moved on the secondary market for double or nothing all that much. I think scalpers would probably be gun shy. Also, just the demand was so high that you'd have to be a very lucky scalper to be able to get a ticket. So they've also reported that according to professionals in the ticket industry, the show had the most activity when tickets first went on sale of any ticket to a pro wrestling event in history by a wide margin. Very strange. Uh, I'm not sure how you would measure that, but, but I'll take it. Okay. Brandy moves on to say that at all out, they will be, is it at all out? Yes. Yes. At all out. They will be unveiling the women's world championship. So sounds like it'll be kind of like the double or nothing segment where we will just see the new belt. Yeah. I'm a little, uh, we'll talk about this later, but it's weird that they, are putting more effort and circumstance and uh, uh, procedure into the other belts besides their heavyweight title. Oh, I'm interested to see where that goes. But uh, Dave did also note that Tony Khan talked about they will have women's tag team titles. I think that was on the Steve Austin show. And he said he's not really aware of uh, another set of titles other than those. I think that's great. You have a top guy, you have a top girl. You have a top men's tag team. You have a top women's tag team. That's simple and, and keeps them meaningful. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, and there is some talk out there about how, well, they don't have enough women for this. But I think that's, I think it's just wrong. <laughs> They've got a pretty yeah. developed roster of, of women. I think, I mean, we did, we talked about how the women's roster looked more interesting than the men's roster at one point. Yep. And yeah, I think that's just like a meme or some some narrative that got momentum somewhere um, where people were yelling it out at street fight shows and saying, where are the women at? Like, <laughs> they're on the card. <laughs> yes. Okay. The next bit on Road to Fight. I think it's just called Road to Fighter. I call it Road to Fighter Fest, but I think that's the title. Anyway, next up we get Jabaley and boys, he's talking about gaming. Yeah. He talked about the history of the CEO event and then his own history and gaming. He's someone that he didn't create CEO, but he was someone that when the event kind of was almost falling to pieces, he kind of stepped up and really took it over and then really expanded. I mean, this is something that was originally takes place in Orlando. They moved it over to Daytona last year. And he's also a pretty well-known, uh, trying to think of the right proper term. He's a, a tournament runner. I have to turn the term wrong. I'm having word salad in my brain right now, but he does a lot of tournament organizing. That's it. Tournament organizing for other organizations and then he talks about how like he ruptured his achilles when he was training for his match last year and he wasn't able to do his move that he wants to do from his video game that he's in and he said he was prepared for nakazawa's oil but yeah i mean they I, they were eventually going to do some stuff about jabali and his history i felt like that for this kind of show like without getting into like the nitty-gritty of like esports and the fighting game community i feel like this covered it pretty well yeah, so this is a tip from a um, friend of the show, Kara, that the move that Jabali was attempting to do in training was based on his drop kick from the game Dive Kick, which I believe is a game where you just have one attack for each guy and it's a, a jumping kick. Uh, and and the character on that game is named Jafali. And I'm wondering if he had like, I wonder if this was a literal parody of Jabali or if. That was like Jabali gave his permission to use his likeness for the character Jafali. Just very weird gamer shit. I don't know. 
But uh, for for a little tidbit, the dropkick attack that Jafali does in the video game that Jafali injured himself trying to do is based on Mike Hager's dropkick from Final Fight. There you go. All right. Great information there, Nate. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Then we get Christopher Daniels. And folks, he's talking about Shima. He's talking about his history with Shima, which Mike has talked about at length on this show before. And I'm sure he will again when we preview Fighter Fest. And I think the interesting part of this little segment is he's building up the motivations that each wrestler has going into the match with Shima's motivation being that he wants to be basically acknowledged or he wants to prove to Western fans that he's a great all-time wrestler. And Christopher Daniels' motivation is he's mostly a tag wrestler these days, and so he wants to prove that he can still go in singles matches. Yeah, I love this, but you all could have expected that I was going to love this piece. <laughs> I mean, even when I interviewed Christopher Daniels during that post-show press scrum and I brought up Shima, he was just glowing with praise about him. And as someone that I, I don't know if I've led the Shima legacy uh, strike, tax, tactical strike force, but I feel like I've one of the people who've been really like leading that over the last few years. It was cool to see that he is someone that also gets it. The only thing that I kind of wish they had, but I knew they weren't going to be able to, was get some of the footage from Crazy Max and Mitch Noku Pro with Curry Band. Like they did some really cool stuff, and it gets me really stoked for this. Like I thought this was really well done, especially for. And something like this, like you're going to need to have Daniels be the one carrying the load in the buildup. Like Shima does speak English, but you're not going to be able to have like the glossy video footage of him talking about it the same way you could with Daniels. So I like this a whole lot, but then again, I was predisposed to. We see Private Party and they're talking about growing up in Brooklyn and how this rough neighborhood and people there didn't support their dream to be wrestlers. How they went to hog wrestling school. My favorite part was that they bonded over being Jeff Hardy fans. <laughs> I love the idea that one of them was wearing a Jeff Hardy t-shirt at training. Like, I just like the idea of wrestlers, people training for wrestling, wearing wrestling shirts. Very yeah. And the, and the other guy was like, damn, that's a dope shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it takes, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, two of a kind there that they would think that's cool. Great. I'm a great segment. Um, and probably, you know, you have to imagine the bucks are like, yeah, we fucking love Jeff Hardy. That rules. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, because they were at the hog wrestling school where Amazing Red is the trainer, they put over Red. Uh, it was funny that they showed a, a picture that included Sasha Banks. That was funny. And uh, interestingly, they were with Red when AEW contacted them about joining the promotion. So I kind of brought it all full circle for that. Full circle for them. Wow. And then they just kind of put each other over for a little bit. But this was a this was like what they're good at. They humanized these guys and made them seem relatable and interesting. Great segment. Uh, these guys are future stars. No doubt about it. Um, they made them just immediately likable talking about, Oh, they're like doing this for their trainer and like really sold us on that. And like, Oh yeah, they were excited to get the call about AEW, but they were more excited to be like, we're going to prove that amazing red's the best trainer out there. Cause he's with us when this happens. And they just had like a really like soft spoken vibe, which was like cool in a contemporary way, I feel like. Like they seem like really outsized guys with their entrance gear and shit. But in this segment, they're like, oh, these are some young guys kind of laid back, kind of chill, but they're like, you know, super athletes and do cool shit in the ring. So, yeah, highlighted this episode of the show. And yeah, I mean, you have to keep your eye on these guys as future AEW World Tag Team Champions. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the match they're going to have at Fighter Fest, June 29, Daytona Beach. We're going to talk about the streaming options here in a little bit. But 
Private Party are going to be taking on SCU, Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky, because Chris Daniels has another match, and the Best Friends. And here's the step. I'm just going to read it straight from the revised graphic that says, Winners advance to All Out for an opportunity at a first-round bye in the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament. So I'm sure the match is going to be great. <laughs> the match is going to be cool as fuck. Yes. Um, and I also like that we can see how this logically progressed from double or nothing. SCU won their match. Best Friends won their match. Uh, you know, Private Party didn't necessarily win their match, but they're added here to, to make it more than just a straight tag match. And we see that there are stakes in this match. They have an opportunity to advance to a match to win a bye in the first round. That does not make it the first round of the tournament because presumably the loser of that match at All Out will still have an opportunity to be in the World Tag Team Tournament. But it's just way too convoluted. It's why does the tag team title tournament have so much more going on than the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament? Why was the World Heavyweight Championship match determined by a goofy-ass battle royale and... It seems like we're going to get weeks and weeks and weeks of lead up to the World Tag Team Tournament. That drives me crazy. Yeah, and just talking about this from like a tournament perspective, we don't know how long this tournament is going to be. Is this going to be like a just like a single elimination four team tournament, so you automatically get into the finals? Like, is there actually something that's worth it, or is this like an eight team tournament? So, in order to advance and get your buy, you're winning two tag matches on. Fighter Fest and All Out, but then you only get a first round buy, so you're still wrestling one more match in a, in a promotion that's already said that they're going to have some sort of statistical analysis. They're going to have some sort of wins and losses mattering, and it just in that way, like there's no way for me to look at this, and it and it it makes me think that all across wrestling, if you're someone who's doing televised wrestling, you have someone whose job is to say, hey, normal people don't talk like that. Because the original print, the original copy for this thing was incomprehensible. And everyone was just like, what the hell is going on here? There's a match to have another match to have another match. So it's just, if this is going to be like, okay, they're doing a mini tournament for a bye that goes in the finals, that's one thing. But if this is going to be a long and drawn out tournament that you're, that like the winner of these this opportunity is someone's going to have all these extra matches then what incentive is it for best friends, SEU, and private party to do this? That being said, as Nate said, that this match is fucking out. So, yeah, they're just really striking out at naming champions. <laughs> like everything about that is going poorly so far. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super that naming champions is like the pre show to Double or Nothing, and like Road to Fighter Fest is the actual show of Double or Nothing, just in terms of quality. <laughs> Oh, that took me a second, but now I'm with you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, naming champions is the fucking goofy battle royale. Like, Yeah, it sucks so far. Well, they'll have another shot with the women, it seems. I don't know. I just get the sense that this tag team championship tournament is going to be part of the TV, and I think that's a bad idea. Yeah, I, feel oh, like I, think that's, I think that's a good idea. I like having a tournament on TV. That gives you an easy way to introduce teams um and have them building uh, everybody building towards something like it, it gives somebody an easy gives new viewers an easy way to be introduced to new people but see the goal and see how that progresses from week to week 
but it's everything prior to that that is just silly and also like you you, you could have done that with the world title on tv and that's like makes it easy also like hey kenny omega and you know uh fucking mjf are in a first round match of the world heavyweight championship tournament that's like an easy way to book tv for six or eight weeks or whatever yeah my problem is depending on how long it goes it's like you are punishing people who didn't watch from the beginning like they're already going to be behind so that is what concerns me about that but mike could be right that it's just you just, like, you just show them the graphic you put up the, the brackets i mean you know i watch only the like last two rounds of the nba playoffs i didn't miss out on anything yes you did no i didn't you missed out on a for lot. sure yeah. i was i was 90 percent as people 90 percent as happy as people that watched every Toronto Raptors game for the last 10 years, just by tuning in for the last two rounds. No, that's because you've listened yes. to the starters for the last 10 years. Fair. So it really doesn't. RIP, by the way. Yeah, RIP. They'll be back. The free agents. <laughs> that's exactly what I thought of, too. Free agent Z. I, I just think that when you're like having TV, especially new TV of a new program, having a tournament of this is going to make it harder for new viewers to come in and to come aboard when you're just seeing like certain things rather than the whole like buffet table of, of wrestling that you're offering. And you're, if you're devoting so much time to these tournaments, that could be a turnoff. I mean, we we've seen how often pro wrestling has made tournaments terrible over the last decade or so. So if they are, if they're able to like knock it out of the park, sure. But giving what they've done for the world title and what they're proposing for the tag team title, I'm not confident. And I think that's one of the things that I'd rather get all the champions decided before or at all out and then have it, have the next run of TV, do your build up for your next challengers. I feel like that's more compelling television than just a tournament that it's going to probably have some wacky doodle thing. Now that there is now an opportunity for an opportunity on the table. I'm with Mike here, but let's see how it plays out. One more match that we found out about, a new match for Fighter Fest. We're going to do a full Fighter Fest preview next week on the show, so uh, have no fear. But the other match that we now know all the participants, we will have the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus the Lucha Brothers. And Laredo Kid is the mystery partner. What do we think about Laredo Kid in this spot? Laredo Kid is pretty great. Laredo, didn't quite enunciate that. Laredo Kid is pretty great. Seen him uh, quite a few times at AEW. I think he was in a triple threat match last all-in weekend that really stole a show that might have ended up being ruined by the Sammy Callahan match and then main event. I'm not sure if that was the same show. Um, but yeah, and he also obviously just had like a uh, big buzzworthy match with Hijo del Vikingo in AAA. Um, I kind of wonder if Laredo Kid was their backup plan for Vikingo because they couldn't get his visa sorted. Dave says that Vikingo's uh, visa is in the works with AAA for the Madison Square Garden show. And I know Conan also said that AEW is working on a visa for Vikingo. So I have to imagine he's inbound at some point. Um, but Laredo Kid is like no small uh, substitution. Like he's pretty awesome in his own right. Does crazy flips and shit. Has a cool mask. What else do you need? Yeah, Laredo Kid owns. Like, this is, given how they're kind of changing gears here, I feel like that if Vikingo wasn't available and seeing who who AAA promotes at the whims of their, however they book, 
if I uh, having Laredo kid, if I can, it's not available is the right move. And he will do some really crazy shit. And his match with Hio Defy Kingo was awesome. So I think this is like the right platform to get this guy to really break out. Yeah, so, so Dave Steve- went on a, a, a big rant about how, oh, you know, they're trying to be flexible. And if somebody has a breakout match like a Laredo kid or a Dustin Thomas or Marco Stunt last year, like they'll just bring him in and put him on and be like, hey, look at this hot new shit we found. Whereas the WWE strategy would be, hey, let's put Laredo Kid in developmental for three years until nobody cares about him anymore. And then we'll put him on Raw and then put him on main event and then release him. Um, So I think that's great. If you find a hot act, feature it. Maybe he catches on. Maybe it's just something to to pop some interest uh, early in the show. But it also works to your advantage because if you put young, hungry guys who want a big spot on your shows, they're going to kill themselves to get over and do something cool. And that's what we're going to see from Laredo Kid. It's like NBA versus MLB, right? NBA does a much better job of creating stars because they throw them right on TV from college. Whereas I think Adam Silver needs to create more stars. I th- you're wrong. You're wrong. It's creating plenty of stars. Adam Silver's. You're saying the star making machine is working? Yes, I am. Adam Silver should take over WWE. You think he'd create some stars? I think you're probably right. Absolutely, would create stars. He'd have Zion Williamson out on Raw on Monday. Mm. Okay, that's my take about uh, NBA versus MLB. This seems like the right place to talk about the Young Bucks losing the AAA tag belts to the Lucha Brothers. I did not see this match, but I believe that one, if not both of you did. Yeah, I saw it. Nate, did you see it? I did watch it. I thought it was fun. Like, I went three and a half to three and 27.5. Like, I watched AAA pretty regularly, and I thought they did a lot better job with this than they did with the Bucks initially. Yeah, I mean, the crowd knew them now so the crowd was already primed um and we knew yeah we knew what this match was going to be in terms of the spots that the bucks and lucha brothers would do like we discussed about their double or nothing Mm -hmm. match but this had the added bonus of wacky lucha referees and overbooking and referees getting taken out and new referees running in and all that wacky shit uh and it just it it all worked perfectly drove the crowd into like a fever pitch huge pop when the lucha brothers won the belts back Phoenix goes and dives into the crowd and gets mobbed by people. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, if, if you judge a match by, if it gets over, it got over huge. So perfect match. Yeah. And I, as like Dave Meltzer said, after that, they're already having a buildup because the, the biggest show on AAA's calendar, this was Ronald de Escandalo. This was like their setup show to their biggest show of the year, which is triple mania on August 3rd. There's going to be some sort of an, all elite wrestling slash international match. And Dave posed the question that it's been like AEW versus AEW. And it makes you wonder if they're going to try to bring in the elite and do like the elite versus triple A. Cause that's kind of how they've done it. This is also how they do every single invader is always Conan. Like it's worth saying that Conan before the, sh- before the match Conan did like an attack on the Lucha brothers that the young bucks jumped in on, which was a big thing also, I think for the crowd in Meridia to understand that, okay, these guys are Rudo invaders. The Lucha Bros are Technicos. Let's cheer for them there. And also the Twitch rev- like the Twitch viewership was incredible. 21,000 split across Spanish feeds and English feeds. So, it, it, I mean, at the very least, it seems like that outside interest into AAA is higher because of this AEW relationship. Yeah, it's not surprising. I hope they do something 
kind of interesting. Like the fun of having a AAA relationship, presuming that goes forward. Uh, Cubs fan did a thing about, hey, you know, the, the Lucha Brothers and the other guys that they want out of this AAA relationship are probably going to be free of their Lucha Underground contracts. So there might not be a great motivator or incentive for AEW to continue working with them. But, you know, I, I want to see like the Taurus and Cody match and other, you know, just wacky Pagano versus Jimmy Havoc or whatever, because that's the fun of having a international relationship like that. So I hope Triple Mania is something goofy and, you know, uh, four members of the elite versus the clowns or something would be just a, a fun sideshow. It's worth stating that the Lucha Underground contracts, to my knowledge, expire sometime in August. So that's what's worth keeping an eye on. And for that, I personally would love to see uh, this old this old Chris Jericho versus Ray Scorpion. Like, that's my match that I really want to see. I want to see them all bleed like crazy. But yeah, it's exciting, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen in, at Triple Mania. And it's kind of something that now I have to circle on my calendar, and it's worth watching. We also found out some more streaming info about Fighter Fest. As you know, it's going to be free in the United States on the BR Live uh, app. Although I guess it turns out that that was U.S. only. I don't think I realized that at the time. Because they announced this week that the show will also be on Fight. And it is $9.99 worldwide, $9.99 uh, worldwide, $8.99 pounds in the United Kingdom, and $9.99 euros in Ireland. That's it. That's some streaming info for you. I think it's also in Canada on BR Live. I thought I saw a tweet or something. Okay. I'm not certain. But yeah, I think that, you know, that's what you kind of expect for that. I don't know if Fight does anything for anything much cheaper than that. So it made sense. And continuing with streaming news, Fight for the Fallen, which will be the, the July show, is going to stream free on BR Live. We talked a lot about this, about if it was going to be free since, you know, it's a charity show. And it turns out it is going to be free, but they are doing it in partnership with a Jacksonville person, personal injury law firm, Farah and Farah, I believe, if I remember correctly. So still going to be free to watch, but presumably they got some money out of that that they are going to donate to uh, the, the charity. Yeah, and uh, this is just because people assume from the title that this is supporting the troops or something. This is supporting the citizens, board for victims of gun violence in the area there um so to clear that up any takes on this show being sponsored by a personal injury firm aaron yeah it's mad minor league right i mean it's uh it's very bad i think <laughs> i'm just imagining lionel hutz doing it <laughs> yeah i uh yeah it kind of has that uh projects that image in their defense i guess if you go to florida I would say 80% of the businesses that are solvent at this point in the state of Florida are <laughs> law firms trying to build somebody out of some money. That is not what I'm saying this personal injury firm in particular does. But yeah, when I was in Orlando for Mania, really got vibes like, oh, wow, like the only people making money down here are like fairly above board law firms. Okay. Yeah, I think law 80% firm. of all people in Florida are personal injury lawyers. It's law firms and vape shops. Yeah. Like yeah, that's pretty much it. And Farah and Farah is actually like a big law firm because as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh yeah, I lived in Miami for five years. I remember seeing huge billboards for this law firm everywhere. So it, it is kind of chintzy in a way, but it made very sense. Like this is very much like the most Florida show they could put on. Like the only thing that can make it even <laughs> better is that there's going to be tailgating where 
a Florida fan is going to try to get in a fight with a Miami fan. Like that's the only thing that makes this thing more Florida. And you know, the fact that they have like that, they're trying to get these, uh, these organizations within the community of greater North Florida and Florida and Georgia really is something that, that, you know, with the Khan family being based out of Jacksonville. And this is obviously something that's very important to Tony because of what happened in Jacksonville either last year or two years ago, I forgot when the Madden shooting was like, this does very much feel like that this is like the special local show that we kind of speculated about ever since we started doing everything elite. So I think it's kind of cool that it has the shine. Yes, it does seem a little bit, you know, oh, you're having a law firm being your title sponsor of this. Like that's kind of cheap, but I think it, it, it does provide a very Florida touch. I would like to see them get all out sponsored by Glenn Lerner and then book Glenn Lerner versus Jabaley. If they need help with Kentucky legend, John Morgan of Morgan and Morgan, you know, feel free to contact me. He doesn't live here. I actually can't hook you up with John Morgan. I got no local law firms in my area. (laughs) All right. That's, uh, that's streaming info. So free shows, exciting. I like free shows. All right. The other big news from this week, John Moxley will not be appearing on the G1 show in Dallas. And it appears to be because he is exclusive to AEW in the United States. He's allowed to do international and indie dates. That that interview with Tony Khan, is that right after Double or Nothing? Yes. Right, because that makes sense. And so he said in that interview they that Moxley was signed to AEW. They were going to let him do, quote, international and indie dates. Very clear. So when people say, well, this is weird because he's getting to do new. Yeah, it's a fucking indie, folks. Of course he's getting to do new. We're not talking about New Japan. Anyway. So I do, I do get why people um, were taken aback. I mean, I again, I have anybody that would have this take muted. But um, I... If that's a particular, I don't actually. All right, never mind. Um, the, I mean, when Tony Khan first did the interview at the Double or Nothing press conference with Meltzer, and I think there might have been a Kenny interview at the time, they did talk about how, oh, we want to work with everybody. We want to work with everybody and have a big open exchange of wrestlers with every company. We're even open to working with the WWE if the circumstances are right and they want to do it, blah, blah, blah. So it does sort of run contrary to that. That said, it's not really surprising this was something that i even was like hmm you know that would be good for their dallas show if they had john moxley but that aew and new japan are kind of competitors in the united states at this point that's maybe why new japan likes ring of honor more than aew as far as a potential partner because ring of honor is not really posing much competition in the united states because they (laughs) suck ass i mean just seats for their next shows yes so i i do get that people i mean Tony Khan's going to say something like that on an interview, then I'm fine with people calling it out and saying, Hey, this is not working with everybody, which you said you were open to doing. Um, I think it's too bad that we have cold relations between AEW and new Japan, but um, yeah, this is not a huge surprise. Would have been nice for new Japan to be able to put Moxley on that card and fill that building up a little bit more um, for the G one but it is what it is. You know, this is a capitalistic enterprise that wants to make money and not, you know, give away free things to their competitors. All right. It's time to get down to business and brass tacks and nuts and bolts. 
AEW was never here to make friends. Like this was a promotion that was here that if you're someone that thinks like the whole change to the world thing is like just corporate speaking like that, like, okay. But all along this, if you wanted to see what like the truth was, you listen to Tony Khan. Tony Khan has been like the straight shooter the whole entire time. The Bucks, Kenny and, and Cody for a lot of ways, like, like they will work people somewhat, but Tony Khan outright said Indies and international. What part of New Japan running in Dallas is indie or international? It's in it's in Dallas, Texas, and it's the second largest company in the world. This was just never going to happen. New Japan never promoted John Moxley and and this show. Like this is not even his block of the tournament. And would the right use of John Moxley would just be an Adobe undercard eight person tag to begin with? Like no, no, this is you're working yourself into knots to just try to get up in arms over people about this. So yeah, like this was going to happen. And it's been the somewhat cold war that's been happening between these two promotions since before their founding. I mean, there are other wrestlers that have had issues that have come through with this, that have made this like even more of a fire than just like, okay, the elite guy is on their way out. You know, we're very much doing their own thing versus like this. There's other wrestlers that, have contributed to this all elite versus new Japan cold war that we've been saying. And from a labor perspective, I'd like to uh, come at it from that way. Like I couldn't be bothered less by this. Moxley is a big, huge star who presumably signed a very lucrative contract with AEW and agreed to this. You know, it's not, he's not the kind of guy who I would be worried about as far as bargaining power when he goes into negotiations with AEW. In fact, I think you could argue pretty easily that he had the leverage in the deal. So he knew what he was getting into with the AEW deal. And that means New Japan knew from the beginning where Moxley could and couldn't work. So, I mean, people should be happy or should be excited that Moxley gets to work in New Japan. So we get to see him there during this timeline when he is essentially exclusive to AEW. So I don't know. I think it's a lot of a lot of uh, noise over nothing. Don't really care. And from a fan perspective, I like it because he gets there's less of a chance of him getting overexposed. So I think it's all good. I'm happy, but I'm not going to the Dallas show either. But it's also funny to see people like I wanted to see John Moxley. And it's like, OK, two months ago, nobody gave a single shit about seeing this guy wrestle anywhere. <laughs> Very yeah. funny. Yeah. It's just people like getting worked up into knots and then talking to their Twitter bubbles about this kind of stuff. So and it's not like he, I mean, I, I think he's become a huge star obviously, but it's not like he's some super worker that you're just like, Oh, I got to see this guy live. Got to see it. So anyway, on the world, according to Jesse. One more. I'm really interested to see if, Nate. New Japan puts Jeff Cobb over John Moxley in their block. Oh, Ring of Honor over AEW? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the next PWG card has a bunch of AEW guys, but they're all against other AEW guys. Um, the PWG card before that had Trent and Brody King in the same match, even though that's AEW and Ring of Honor. Um, just interested to see if New Japan's like, we're going to throw a bone to our partner and have their next probable champion jeff cobb beat john moxley the next you know big AEW star in our tournament here interested to watch that that would probably be the first time i would think okay maybe this is getting a little petty 
I, I wouldn't blame them for it at all. But that I'd be like, okay, yeah, they no, are going at each other. It makes it more fun. Absolutely. I'm in favor of it. I just, until now, it's like people are trying to read tea leaves on, are they being passive aggressive? I'm like, eh, you can see it either way. But that would be a pretty clear sign, I think. Especially since like Cobb is not going to rack up a bunch of wins in the G1. I think I have him with eight points. They kind of have to be nice to him because he's the only participant from Ring of Honor. And he's also probably the next champion. So I think he has to do respectably well. Okay. We're probably not going to preview the G1 on this show, but we might. Never know what we're going to do. On the world according to Jesse. (laughs) See, the bit here, Nate, would have been for you to interrupt again. It would have been funny. On the world according to Jesse, which apparently is a Jesse Ventura podcast. I was thinking this might have been like Jesse Camp, like the MTV channel. This was on RT, right? Like the Russian news service? <laughs> from, an ex, from an undisclosed location in the middle of Mexico, here I am, Jesse Ventura. We should get a Domian on the show. Yeah, that oh, was not a podcast at all. This is his, his TV show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Jericho was on RT. Very cool. Okay, so Jericho's a comrade. We all know that now. Uh, on the world according to Jesse, Chris Jericho appeared, and he notified uh, Jesse Ventura and the world that he is an AEW employee, not an independent contractor. He uh, was very careful to say he doesn't know everybody else's deal, but he's an employee, and talked about how AEW was changing the game in a lot of ways, and that they're making some people employees. Nate is staring at me. <laughs> and uh, talked about how AEW offers health and dental coverage. Not sure to whom, but at least to him. So pretty interesting here. Yeah, no, I don't, I disagree. I'm going to be antagonistic. Not wow. that interesting. Not really even that newsworthy. I did retweet this on the account. So that was me. But I think we've known that the top guys are going to be employees and have benefits and have all of that. And it's the underneath guys that we have questions about. And this doesn't change that at all. So that's fair. All right. A note from the observer. AEW has not made a decision about whether their talent will be able to do PWG after TV starts. Obviously a little different because PWG doesn't stream, doesn't have TV, but they do have DVDs. So I don't care. I don't watch PWG, but it's interesting. The uh, I think the takeaway here was Dave talked about, oh, like being in PWG actually helps your perception and your career and your star status. So maybe they just don't care if people, people work PWG because it will benefit their talent. This is um, basically, you know, the logical outcome of years ago when Ring of Honor pulled other talent from PWG. And it was like, oh, but wait, when your talent is stars in PWG, people actually want to see them in Ring of Honor because PWG made them stars. Like that's where you become a star on the independent level. So, you know, maybe you probably don't want your top people working there. You don't need, obviously, Kenny working there or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, you put, you know, say, hey, you guys can use Jungle Boy as long as you also feature Luchasaurus as his tag partner or whatever. That's probably a good way to to get that tag team established and get him some buzz to tune in to watch him on Turner. And also, it just could not matter less if you lose in PWG. Yeah. So nobody's yeah. going to get hurt. The fans are too smart. Yeah. And at the end of the day, this is a promotion that is run by friends of the uh, EVPs that they've been very loyal to and they've always been open about your 
one of your lead announcers still, I assume, is going to be doing commentary for it. And these shows won't come out until like 180 days after they happen. So they really don't matter. So, yeah, why not? Especially for your younger wrestlers, like this would be a great place for like private party for like the fact that they are not nearly as well known on the, the worldwide stage to get more seasoning in that. Like this is like a great seasoning place, I feel like, for this that like there was talk about them buying their own like promotion and trying to do like this, like a minor league school or something like this. I mean, if you can get into PWG, why not do that instead? All right. And now friends, listeners, we have a world premiere. I feel like Carson Daly. You don't feel like Jesse camp. No. Okay. I have never felt like Jesse camp. So we should do a bad wrestling podcast voice. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Dave Holmes. <laughs> I feel like Jesse Camp. All right, you're really you're really leaning in on this Jesse Camp thing. I, I, I mean, I'm just surprised. He's the funniest reference for sure. Yeah, for sure. You're just like shooting my reference right out from underneath me. I feel like who's, Kennedy. Who's the really sports uh, Kennedy's one. Who was the really sportsy guy? Dan, not Dan Matha, obviously. Dan, somebody <laughs> else. Yeah, like the spiky fohawk. Fuck, oh, I forget. I don't know. I'm gonna have to look it up. What about the guy who uh, – well, Dave Holmes was the guy who came in second, right, to Jesse Gale. Yes, and obviously is now much more famous. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, – Dan I Cortez. Dan oh, yeah. Cortez? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare you forget the uh, rock and jock b-ball jam Hall of Famer, Dan Cortez. Yeah, I feel like Dan Cortez. I feel like Matt – Penfield. Penfield. <laughs> I could not think of it. 120 minutes. <laughs> remember that show that was like the uh music discovery show or whatever where he yeah. was the host yeah you remember mike and they would have like they would have big performances on that show of like uh, very popular bands mm -hmm. yeah but the idea was like to discover new bands you know right i'll tell you who i do not feel like i do not feel like kurt loader oh i used to when i was younger and i was like starting bands and such mm -hmm. i would think of band names and i would decide on whether they were good by thinking of how it would sound if kurt loader said it were you like, ah. expecting, like something bad to happen to your band so that kurt loader, <laughs> like mtv news bad news today is aaron bentley from uh whatever uh got out of wreck. <laughs> kurt loader is cool actually i feel like serena mm -hmm. alchel <laughs> Did, did, I had, a, had at, a big crush on her back in the day. Did, don't take a look at Kurt Loader's career outside of MTV. Just don't. Didn't Kennedy become like a chud or something? Yeah. yeah she's it, like on Fox or something with Brodus yeah. Clay. That's brutal. Well, Brodus Clay is he's not allowed, around, mm, yeah. allowed around women anymore. Well, Kurt Loader writes film reviews for Reason Magazine. Oh, yikes. That's why I said, not that cool outside of MTV stuff. Yikes. We had uh, some girl in my high school won a contest to have DJ Scribble v DJ a high school dance. So wow. I met DJ Scribble. Very cool. Star, star of The Grind, maybe, or yeah, star yeah. of any of their DJ spring break shows, et cetera. Young people don't know about MTV. I would be more impressed if you met DJ Pribble Scribble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've gone down the history of MTV VJs, I think. Uh, just I to like say this. Rubio balls. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, world <laughs> premiere today on Total Request Live. As, no, it hasn't been reported anywhere, I don't think. 
Uh, Darby Allen's entrance theme in AEW was, I assume, written and recorded by friend of the show, actual friend of the show, Wickafay's Springs Eternal. And Darby did come out to the song at New Wrestling this past weekend, but we have obtained the song. We have the full studio quality song, and we are going to debut a clip of that song right now. I don't sleep cause my head's on fire I hate creeps and I hate liars Oh, you want the grave kept secret that I never tell I'm up in heaven but I came from hell I fell So Okay, so that's the new Darby Allen entrance theme by Wickafay's Springs Eternal. Folks, I'm going to say it slaps. Yeah, it's a banger. Absolute banger. Not what I was expecting. Being a fan of Wickafay's, Not I expected all. more of a hip hop vibe. And it's like a rock song. It's very cool. No, yeah, it's got a good heavy riff at the start that's like very Darby Allen. So happy about that. And glad that AEW uh, you know, took my note on getting some real ass musicians to get in there and uh, record some entrance themes. The, the one of the things I really liked about it is it has such a driving beat that knowing like the fans like this, like they can get like a good a good clap chant going before Darby comes out each time. I think that that's a really good vibe. I think I like that a whole lot. I, uh, I love the track though. I, I think that's correct. Uh, it's a little optimistic just because American fans have no rhythm whatsoever. If you were to play that in Japan, then they'd be fucking bang on with the clapping. It also has the same energy as like the uh, his his indie entrance song so i think that's good you know kind of has some uh ties to that continuity Continuity. that's exactly what i wanted thanks nate so thank you to uh wikifaze for sharing that with us and letting us uh, debut a clip of it on the show very cool all right apparently there i didn't even know about this till mike said it but i guess there was a longer bte this week that had scu in owe yeah, this was kind of a special thing they put out. There's been like footage going out for a while. Sadly, we've all kind of had like crazy weeks. I mean, it's just kind of time of the year it is. But there is like this longer 27 minute mini doc or actually documentary of them in China with OWE. I'm going to try to catch this over the next few weeks and talk about it. But I think it's really cool. I mean, this is something that very, I mean, with Christopher Daniels and his role and with SEU, I, I really like how much that they're showing and featuring OWE, especially considering OWE will be having their first shows in North America over the first or second week of August at Smash Wrestling. I know I've retweeted like ticket links for this. So I think it's really cool that this is an ongoing thing with AEW. There was all the issue with with the visas and hopefully they still get worked out. But I like that they're still making this a big deal for them. All right. Well, I didn't see it, but that said, Let's get into this week's BTE recap. All right. This episode is titled Viva Lost Tag Belts, um, which I was going to write in the doc here, but somebody beat me to it. So thank you to whoever did that. Um, It opens with Matt Jackson. He's watching the Cody and Dustin segment from Double or Nothing, where Cody talks about tagging with Dustin to wrestle the Young Bucks. So a little bit of breadcrumbing on that upcoming match. We get the intro, and then the Bucks and Brandon Keller are en route to AAA, and they talk about how Brandon Keller is going to be like a main character now because he's riding with the Bucks all the time. Um, they're in a pool at the hotel. We learn that the camera is waterproof, 
So that's exciting. They invested at least in a waterproof camera. <laughs> um, and then they're talking about the sellout of All Out. Um, I think Matt does like a really good subtle job of selling how blessed he is. Like Nick's talking about, oh, you know, thank you guys. Thanks for the support. And Matt just gets, you know, like a wistful look in his eyes. And it's like, yeah, you know, we're so blessed. And it's like, okay, I, I'll buy it. All right. Uh, we jump to Kenny he, at E3. He's trying to find some more canceled people to do photo ops with. <laughs> I, think he, I think he did find a second one that people tried to cancel him over. Uh, the man who cried in his doc, in, <laughs> man who cried in his gamer chair. <laughs> Kenny can't be canceled. I mean, he he booked a pedophile on a wrestling. Yeah, show. this is uh, yeah. He can't be canceled. Well, he either can't be canceled or he is canceled. Now he's just <laughs> in a, he's in a Lanza post cancellation uh, mode. <laughs> um. So he, he says, hey, you know, now he's here at E3 working off some steam after he got wrecked at Double or Nothing. Appreciate the little tie-in to uh, the narratives here. And then we see him playing Apex Legend on some stage outdoors. The host talks about his little feud with Xavier Woods. So they're not putting that to rest. There was also a Xavier Woods uh, photo in the Road to Fighter Fest episode, I believe. And then, you know, there's Kenny talking with some guy who's trying to engage him about AEW, but Kenny stays in character talking about booking Dr. Dre and all these ridiculous acts for Fighter Fest. Oh, the person that he was playing Apex Legends with and they did like a little clip of, that was Golden Boy, who will be the commentator for Fighter Fest. So I, I saw that they were together. I didn't watch their stream, but I think that's really cool that, like, this is obviously a Kenny hire. And I think that I've talked about how I think Golden Boy will be good for the company. So I'm glad they're doing a little bit of introduction of him there. Okay, cool. Didn't notice that. Um, uh, I did see that he did a selfie with Sean Wasabi, who's uh, in the Leon verse of like cool, I don't know what it is, future funk video game music where he uh, installs vehicle motors on pianos and uses them to play Smash Brothers. Um, so that was the only gamer thing that I knew about this. All right, we go to Matt Jackson, I think still in Mexico, and he's drinking a Coca-Cola coffee. His verdict is that it's pretty good. He gives Nick a sip. He gives Jeff Jones a sip. He gives Sam Atlas a sip. Sam does not like it. And gives Brandon Cutler a sample. Um, I appreciated that they had double coverage from both Jeff's and Brandon cameras here. Uh, was this sponsored content? I think it was SpawnCon. They did not tag it. I'm offended, and I'll be reporting this to the authorities. I was like, wow, I don't know what the purpose of this segment is here. I mean, they did have one guy did not like it, so that would be poor sponsored content, but um yeah this was nothing here uh we jumped to christopher daniels he is not drinking a coca-cola coffee he is drinking a monster in his um nice home i presume has very nice high ceilings he is thinking about his match with shima deciding whether he wants to take this match with shima that shima challenged him for um and he asks someone what he thinks we turn the camera and see that he is asking his pug puppy dog um and they have an ongoing conversation get some good shots of the pug with his sad pug eyes intercut here and a really big like playstation 2 rpg soundtrack epic vibe in the background um and eventually the pug and his puppy dog eyes convinced christopher daniels take the match and uh wrestle against shima yeah very good dog here <laughs> great dogs in this promotion <laughs> yeah this promotion's full of great dogs it's important all right, then we get a drone shot of the arena in Meridia, and it's a great, unique-looking building. You get the Papa Buck score here. Um, I might have been a Warrior's Cry. And you just get a zoom-in of this great drone shot zooming down to the building. 
uh folks this is freaking epic and this is why you watch bte <laughs> i don't know why i typed that but that's sort of it was like semi-ironic uh but yeah just look <laughs> it, it had like an epic vibe to it um i think this must have been so sammy guevara he also had a vlog this week he has drone shots all the time yeah and his production quality is great his camera always looks great sound always looks great editing is like professional top of the line and i think you must do the drone shots i think so too i finally watched an episode of sammy guevara's uh vlog and i was very impressed with everything so i think that's his drone yeah so just have Sammy do BTE, I think, because mm -hmm. yeah, you do a great job, I think. Um, so yeah, I get the drone shot. They go to the building, and now we're uh, you know sort of seeing the layout of the building. We see some of the clowns' T-shirts, Pagano and Psycho Clown. Brandon Cutler comes up to Sammy G in the locker room, and Sammy congratulates him on getting his contract, and more importantly, on crying on camera on being the elite. Uh, Sammy says that's cool. Uh, he tries to like give him a backhanded compliment and be like, yeah, you know, I'm a real man, so I wouldn't do that, but it's cool that you did or whatever. So now we're finally getting Sammy being an asshole after all these weeks of Sammy actually just being a decent guy, but people thinking he's an asshole. Now he's just actually being an asshole actually just calls Brandon Cutler a pussy. I'm not endorsing that is Brandon Cutler's gimmick on this show. Cause that's stupid. Um, but yeah, so that's their little segment. And then we get a BTE mailbag segment. Nick is asked what venue he will miss the most not working the Indies. He says Reseda, California, the old Legion Hall uh, for PWG. Could have seen that coming a mile away. We jump to Matt. He's asked about what his go-to spray tan brand is. And he says, you know, we spent thousands of dollars. Uh, the tan that I use and that we use is Quick Tan. You can get it at Sally's Beauty Store. And I think Sally's Beauty Store retweeted this or tweeted about it, which was funny More con. Con. <laughs> that's right didn't also they need to check their uh their spawn con terms and uh you know uh uh uh, uh legislation because <laughs> might be legislation bro i mean you gotta fucking tag that hashtag spawn <laughs> all right um We're so now we got this week <laughs> now we got the bucks and brandon cutler uh brandon cutler comes up to them to complain about sammy but sammy runs in so brandon walks off uh sammy questions him giving brandon a contract but uh and then takes what they say and says oh you know you're right you know we do need a job guy in every promotion uh he then goes and compliments the bucks match and talks about how it was super great he didn't watch it but it was awesome uh and the bucks mad jackson turns to nick and says we haven't even wrestled yet which is, is actually pretty funny so this is funny but obviously nick knows they haven't wrestled yet matt doesn't need to tell him that <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> He's telling the camera. So this is this is like a weird comparison, but it's what what I thought of. This reminds me of like anime comedy where there's like a premise and a little <laughs> twist or a joke or something, and then the narrator tells you the joke at the end. There's just like a narrator that delivers a punchline to you, and it just does it. It's goofy and it's not in line with uh, the comedy that we've been uh uh social socialized to <laughs> enjoy in this country so that was just goofy he had to get the idea across and there was no other way to do it except to tell nick oh he's being an asshole because he complimented our match even though we haven't had it yet folks pj washington just got drafted Big is that guy. a K kentucky guy absolutely kentucky legend pj washington you guys cool. got i think at least mike got to see me celebrating <laughs> yeah you, you are very enthused 
Yeah. All right. There's no Miami players that are going to get drafted this year, so I'm disinterested. I'm sorry. It, does, uh, Nate, I noticed in the notes you called him B-Cut. Is that an official <laughs> nickname? Yeah, or? it's my official nickname. <laughs> we got he's a very, he has a very – it's like a fine name. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to type that out every time. Sure. Um, congrats to PJ. All right. <laughs> Thanks. We get Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy are backstage doing like – Jungle Boy like rolls up Luchasaurus is back while Taya Valkyrie and Sonny Kiss are there. I don't think anything else happened to this segment. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, uh, no, nothing happened. Just, go ahead. Nothing happens. Are, are we going to talk about the Scorpio Sky Sonny Kiss Twitter segment? Twitter I haven't video? even seen it. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I have no awareness what this is. So take it away. So they did a video on Twitter of Sonny Kiss trying to teach um scorpio sky like a, a patty cake type mm. thing you know what i mean just like the little hand deal right. you know what i'm doing right mm -hmm. uh i only noteworthy because like scorpio sky is canceled for uh tweeting homophobic slurs in the past mm -hmm. and uh i don't know so i thought it was i didn't know if it was a a shot at redemption for scorpio sky yeah don't know um maybe he just enjoys sunny's company Sure. Could be. I did see Scorpio Sky treating with Pero the other day. Oh, interesting. Uh, but that was just like a, hey, man, you'll get your shot or whatever, sort of like uh, boosting him up. H or, you I know, it's, it's not without the, uh, the realm of possibility that uh, Scorpio Sky has grown and matured as a person and has Absolutely. come to question some of his old views. Sunny Kiss can uncancel Scorpio Sky at any, at any time. Those are the rules. Yeah, that's right. If you're a member of a uh, disadvantaged or protected class, you have the authority to redeem anyone at your will. We've seen, you know, Kevin, of course, uh, did this for Frey. <laughs> Is that what that was? <laughs> yes. Uh, first, Kevin, you know, uh, <laughs> forgave Frey on behalf of all the Jewish people. So we know this is something that you can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all true. Um, yeah. And next was... All right, then we get the footage from the AAA show, AAA show of the Lucha Brothers defeating the Young Bucks. Huge pop, women screaming. That's when you know something is really over when you get the squeals of women. This is what I've been saying. You know, if it's just men, like, yeah, doing an ironic chant, and it's not truly over. Uh, but the Lucha Brothers are truly over in Mexico, win their belts back. Phoenix is diving in the crowd. Um, and then we see the Bucks sad backstage. Cutler goes up and says, man, you know, that was awesome. Talk about... The crowd was deafening. It was so loud out there. I think this was probably a little nod to the Young Bucks' previous match in AAA where there was not a deafening crowd. But the Bucks, you know, they're not happy with the deafening crowd. They're upset because they lost the belts, and belts matter. And then we get a Fighter Fest promo from the Lucha Brothers. This is where Phoenix announces that Laredo Kid is their partner. And they show some footage of Laredo Kid here that they must have gotten straight from AAA. And I believe that was all. All right. A fine episode of BT. Yeah, it was kind of there. It wasn't after like the last few weeks. Like this one, obviously, they were going to have a lot of AAA stuff. So I just kind of was like, okay, more AAA things. That's fine. All right. Well, that's all the AEW and Elite Extended Universe news for this week. Also, also a lot of uh, just randomness from us as well. I think if you don't know, this is the first week that Nate has been on camera. <laughs> for the show 
I I do not have a corporeal form, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I exist fully in the digital realm. <laughs> That's true. So it's usually just Mike and me mm-hmm. on camera, and uh, Nate. I forget what it used to look like, what the thing was, but uh, all of a sudden I get the the notification. Nate redacted joined the group chat, and there he was. I popped huge. Yeah, I mean, we have met each other a number of previous times. <laughs> out, so not yeah. a huge deal. No, but it was surprising. I mean, in classic Nate form, he did not warn us in any way that he no. was going to be on camera. So I'm just saying, I think that has contributed to the goofiness on this episode. Sure. I'm yeah. trying to think of what previous things I did not warn you for. That would be in classic Nate form. <laughs> just anything, anything at all. You're not really like a... You just kind of do the thing. Okay. Things. You just kind of do them. You're not like a big uh pronouncement person. Yeah. No. I don't need I don't need, you know, context or fucking laying the groundwork. Just do the work. <laughs> AKA the ironic message. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's Nate. Uh and that is your everything elite for the week. Make sure that you are subscribing to the show. Either through the Everything Elite feed. Search that on the podcast app of your choice or subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Don't think we got any new uh, new reviews this week on the Everything Elite feed. So um, would love to see some more five-star reviews there. If you write something funny in the comments and do a five-star review, we'll read it on the show. And then you can be like, hey, yeah, they talked about me on the show because I'm a friend of the show. We'll call you an official, a real friend of the show also. <laughs> yeah, and include your your Twitter account in there and you know we'll shout it out on the show. Maybe some people will follow you. We're very yeah, popular people. Yeah. yeah, I have a lot of followers now. Too many. Yeah, We're big influencers. Thought leaders for sure. Yeah, thinkfluencers. Also available for SponCon, uh, Coca-Cola Coffee. Give us a call. Yeah, we will drink them on the show. And since we're all on camera now, we'll record it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I will not record it. <laughs> well, Mike and I will. We'll put that up somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I've already done things without shame. I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a lot to be left, leaving a lot to the imagination there. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm done. I think we're done, guys. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. You never know what Mike's going to post sometime. You can follow me at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. And Mike, with that spicy content, is at Fujiheya. Two eyes. If you're looking for for topless photos of Don Fuji, he's your guy. (laughs) Well, well, one thing, I was betrayed this. I was was betrayed during all out tickets because my thing has always been that my header image is Don Fuji when he was a mall for futons. And I would always pull this thing up whenever I bought PWG tickets. It finally let me down last week. Well, it didn't let you down too bad because I got us uh, floor seats, so yeah. we still are going to do okay. The, the the short kings of the show are going to be on the floor. So yeah, we're nine rows back, and we're both short, and so I'm a little concerned about that. But we'll see. I, I'm stoked. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I got so there was a. Uh, I might trade you if uh, if if that's in play. Hmm. I'm well, in the hundred level. Well, let's get there. See how My, bad our view is. Yeah, I, I, that's what I mean. I'm not trying to. Just saying, a swap is in play. If that'd be better for you, maybe. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We're like we're on the uh, the ramp. We're yeah. Next to the ramp. So could be a cool seat. 
There was a they did a pre-sale lottery for Jason Isbell at the Ryman this year. So you had to enter this lottery, and they were just selling like the best seats in this lottery. It's fucked up though because you got to put in your card, and if you win, you automatically have bought the tickets. So I put in for five of the seven nights. Jesus, I only won one night, but I got second row. Oh, but you could have been on the hook for like five second row tickets. Yeah, they were the tickets. Oh, Tyler Hero just got picked. The tickets that I bought, uh, $272 total mm. for, for two tickets. Could have had that times five. For a guy you've seen five times this month. I would say I've seen him 18 times. Uh, but yeah, second, but I didn't get any other seats. So the general on sales tomorrow at 10, and we'll see what happens. I want to go to four shows. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> okay. He plays rare songs. You don't know what night he's going to play what. You got to be there. You got to hear the rare cuts. got to hear the OG vinyl pressing versions. Exactly. Yep. One, I get it. 180 grams. I understand. I'm the same way with Red Velvet. Yeah, you are. You are. Okay. Well, I've already done all our plugs, so this is a weird way to end, but that's it. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.